This is episode one, entitled "Work: Financial Risk Management at a Big Bank." Cutthroat corporate politics, soft skills, and the art of saying no. Hello, world! Welcome to the show. We work, rest, and play. This is where we dissect, decipher, and demystify. People's work and their lives outside of work. I'm Dan, your host, and welcome to episode one. Thank you so much for joining me for the inaugural, the very first episode ever for the We Work, Rest, and Play show. Now this has been a long, long time coming, and we are finally here, season one, episode one. So here we go. It's time to get busy. This is season one, and we've got lots and lots to talk about. Lots to laugh about and lots to what the about. So let's get right into it, shall we? Now, in this episode, we are talking work, where we go deep and get real about what it's like to work in the corporate financial industry. I was very lucky to have had such an awesome guest as the very first interviewee, and his name is Dennis, who is a very good friend of mine, and he was so generous with his time and his advice. And thanks to him. This episode is absolutely jam-packed with so much useful information. Now, I'm sure there is something in this one for everyone. Now, what does Dennis specifically do for work? He currently works in one of the big banks in Australia and works in a division which could be described as internal risk advisory. This is a very specialized role where there are actually only two. Of his role in the entire bank, but to get a feel for what this is,、uh, think along the lines of financial risk management for big companies. He has over fourteen years of experience in the industry, during which he has also worked at a consultancy as well as an investments firm, and we'll explain what these institutions are about during the episode as well. Now he has a wealth of knowledge and offers some sage advice for those who work or are looking to work in the corporate financial world. I love his no bull, straight up answers, and he gives us an insight into things like the potentially cutthroat nature of the corporate financial industry, the importance of soft skills, and the art and skill of saying no. Corporate politics, actuarial studies, and what it is. And much, much more. So I hope that has whet your appetite. So here we go. I hope you're ready for some fun. On to episode one. Please enjoy. G'day, Dennis. Thank you so much for、uh, <laughs> putting yourself up for this, mate. Really appreciate it. Currently living in Sydney. Sydney, yeah. As you have been your well, whole life. Well, since I was nine. Since you were nine. Malaysia. Okay, so you you lived in Malaysia for the first nine years of my life, and then Sydney for the remaining twenty or so years. Excellent. And you are roughly thirty something. Thirty something. <laughs> That's right, as am I. So me and Dennis,、uh, we we actually went to the same high school together. So that's sort of how far back we go. So、mm. we've been knowing each other forever. 
And your current occupation, mate, how, what would you call your current occupation? Oh, I don't even know what you, what you define your current yeah. occupation. So, I work for a bank, um, which to a lot of people would mean I'm a banker. Um, but within the bank, there are so many different roles. Um, and within the bank, I don't think I would be considered a banker. Just like if you worked for a bank and you're in IT, you wouldn't call yourself a banker. Um, so, I work for a bank, but I'm in the bank. I'm not considered a banker. Um, my actual title is Associate Director. That doesn't really mean much to, to anyone outside the bank either. Do you, do you have a, like a functional title? <clears throat> like, uh, like, a, like, you know, are you a... Yeah, like I don't know, you got those generic words out there, yeah. like analyst and engineer and Ooh. yada yada yada. What, what would you, what would you say the closest thing? Would be to that? I don't think we even have one. So, so my role is r- relatively specialized. Um, so there's only maybe two of me in the bank. So they don't yeah. really make any specific titles because you know, you're also specialized. Right, only two of you in the bank. That mm. sounds pretty important. Um, okay, so, I mean, how would you sort of describe what you do on a day-to-day basis then, sort of, what okay. is it that what's So, um, all banks lend money. Um, they lend money to small, smaller organizations, larger organizations, and then to, you know, really big ones. So, for the, if you think a large organization needs to borrow money, um, and part of that comes with other services the banks offer. So, things like, um, buying or selling currencies. So if you're an exporter, an importer. You probably have to import from another country. They, you know, if you're buying something from the US, importing furniture, let's say, they're not going to sell it to you in Australian dollars. They're going to sell it to you in US dollars, which means that you need to buy in US dollars, which means that you have to ask the bank if you can convert to get some US dollars. Um, and when that happens, you have what they call currency risk. Um, and so I help businesses with that. Okay, so is that the fo- the area that you focus on, currency risk? Um, currency risk, interest rate risk, and commodity risk are the primary areas I focus in. So if you borrow money as a person, you don't have that much risk because you only borrow a small amount. But if you're a large company and you borrow you know, a billion dollars, if interest rates go up, then you're, you know, you might not be able to pay the interest on that. So, you have to worry about interest rate risk a lot. Right. And so, I help with that as well. So, you mentioned currency risk, interest risk, and commodity risk. Uh, f- mm. For the layperson out there, when you say commodity risk, what are you talking about? Oh, so, when commodities are things like the, they break up into hard and soft commodities. The metals like copper, gold, um, iron ore, um, those or commodities, and then soft commodities are um, sugar, that sort of thing, agricultural. I was about to say, I thought that it was sounding like the hard commodities are stuff, something that's tangible, but no. <laughs> it's like, oh crap, that's wrong. Cause so basically, resources, um, you know, which are traded in the world, around the world. That's the hard commodities? Mm. Well, resources covers all commodities. Right. And hard commodities, well, I just, they're soft and then there's the, the metals. Ah, right. So, like, okay. So, metal stuff, which is physically hard. So, someone, yeah. So, someone goes out to Western Australia and has a mine for copper and gold. They have to dig it out. And by the time they dig it out um, and they start selling it to people who want copper and gold um, to make wires or to make bracelets, that could be in 
two years and who knows what the copper price and gold price is in two years right then they're selling it so how are they going to know if they're going to be profitable um so that sort of thing as well i help you oh so so you so so let's say a, a client of the bank wants to make a transaction with mm-hmm. someone they come to your bank say hey we need to buy a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. um what what sort of risk are uh uh, are they going to be exposed to and depending on the transaction? It's either going to be currency, interest risk, or commodity risk, or a combination of them, I'm guessing. Yep, yep. So then they come to you and you would actually an, uh, uh, do an analysis and see, okay, these guys have a high risk meeting this way. Mm. Do you make that assessment? So typically there are a bunch of salespeople um, who specialize in currency, interest rate, and commodity sales within each bank. And they do all, everything that's standard. So um, the client comes and says, I want to loan, you know, a billion dollars. I want to fix it all um, for a fixed rate. So for the next five years, so I don't have to worry about changes in interest rates. And the normal salesperson does that. Um, but it gets elevated to my team and me when it becomes more complex. Mm. So things out of the ordinary, which are convoluted, um, where... They need someone who does it full-time to help. So, your, your team's like a risk analysis team, risk sort analytics of. or something? Yep, sort of. Roughly, it's roughly. Like internal risk advisory is what I would Ah, there you it. go. An internal risk advisory. Okay. So, you guys work alongside the salespeople who are actually, um, I guess, when we say salespeople, are they the guys going out um, looking for, for clients themselves or do clients come to them? Clients come to us. Ah, so right. the bank typic- a bank typically has lending clients. Yep. Um, so I'm talking a domestic bank. Mm-hmm. So you have all these clients on your book who've come and they said, I need money to, you know, I need some loans to help build my farm, mm. build this extra bit in my farm or whatever it is. And once they become a client of the bank, the bank will go, okay, do you need anything else from us since you're a client? Can we help you with this, with that, anything else? And one of it, the things we help with is um, interest rates, currency, and commodity risk. Mm. And the sales guys, there are specific guys who work to sell currency, interest rate, and commodity um, products to right. clients in our book. Right, okay. Yeah, actually, one, one of the... <laughs> See, the thing is, De- Dennis works in the financial industry, obviously, and to me, it's such a complicated <laughs> world, and it, 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 like, yeah, it's definitely very complicated. I'm actually struggling trying to keep up here, so I'm going to maybe backtrack a little bit and just try to clarify a few things. So, um, when, so I, I sort of, it all, the overall sort of high-level flow makes sense where mm-hmm. you're at a bank. Some people need to borrow some money to undertake a big project like building a farm, like you said. Mm. Um, they'd be uh, allocated a salesperson, talk to see what they need. Um, so I guess one of the typically they need to borrow a whole bunch of money. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Yep. So then, so I, I guess in a typical transaction they wouldn't need to escalate elevate it to your yep. uh, internal risk advisory team. Yep. The salesperson, if they can handle it, it's all good. Mm. Um, so when you're building a farm, I guess there's a business loan which has an interest risk. Yep. Uh, now, 
if you're building a farm, I guess you may need to buy stuff from overseas, like equipment maybe. Yep, that's right. That would be US dollars. So US dollars? So then... And then does that is that when the currency risk kicks in? Yeah. So if you have to if you need a tractor in six months, and you know the tractor costs fifty thousand US dollars, then you know you know with current exchange rate maybe it's seventy thousand Aussie dollars. But when you buy it in six months and you've budgeted seventy thousand Aussie dollars right. to buy it, it could be a hundred thousand Aussie now. Right. And then you're like, oh, I've just lost thirty thousand oh. dollars. What could I have done to stop that? And you know. Okay, now it's making that's, sense. Hence the importance of your team to, yes. to, but then you guys are sort of having to be the crystal ball. Like, look at the crystal ball. Cause uh, so it, we don't tell you, mm. um, so you don't have to know where it's going. Mm. It's just the bank offers. So you can buy the US dollars now and put mm. it in a, an account. So we can say you can just buy it now. Buy the 50,000 US dollars now, put it in the bank account, mm. and you know you will have enough in six months and you know it'll cost you around 70,000 Aussie, but maybe you don't want to, but it will <laughs> totally depend on two things. One being what the bank can offer in terms of products, but secondly, how much risk you want to take. Right. You know, do you right. want to roll the dice? Gotcha, can your gotcha. business, does your business have the cash flows to roll the dice and just say, well, we can wear it if it becomes $100,000? Um, do you want to take a view that the Aussie, Australian dollar is going to move up or down. So I guess it's like if there's an analogy with your basic home loan, it's like do you go interest, yep. fixed interest, or variable interest? Exactly. Right. Whereas where you know where, where fixed mm-hmm. is, you fix it for a set term, and you know exactly how much you're paying, or you just follow the market. Yep, that's right. Uh, okay. Wow. Wow. Then then how does okay? So currency risk makes sense. Interest risk makes sense. With commodity risk, what's the situation where that would kick in? So. Normal um, mining company, they've just found gold in the ground. They're very happy, but they need some money to borrow from a bank to dig the gold up. They need to buy all those tractors and all those mining equipment. They come to the bank. The bank says, well, we're willing to lend you the money, but how do we know we're going to get it back? We have to make sure we're going to get it back. And, you know, copper prices are now at 3000 dollars a pound but in a year's time it could be one thousand five hundred dollars a pound and then we're not going to get our money back because you're not going to be profitable right and that's in a year's time that's when you're going to start digging it up and selling it so we're not going to lend you the money actually (laughs) after all Uh, so then they go okay so how about we sell you the copper that we're gonna um we're gonna dig out of the ground now because you know we're going to dig it out of the ground. Mm. We found it, the gold, the copper, whatever it is. Um, and then we can structure some sort of what they call a forward sale. So you sell it now because you know gotcha. you're going to dig it up. Wow, wow. Wow, okay. Okay, so this is all – obviously, we're not – I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too much. But it, this it, – it's sort of – wow, okay. It, it actually makes sense yeah. now what you guys so, are there and – the role that you guys play there. So, I think if you think about it simplistically, you can fix your home loan mm. for fixed interest rate. Mm. You can fix a currency rate mm. and you can also fix a commodity price, gotcha. a gold price or whatever. Right, and right. And that's just one, the simplest product. There are other <laughs> products as well. Right. So, like, I guess when you're watching the news, you know, your, your typical layperson like me goes, oh, when you hear gold prices and copper prices and oil prices, we're like, yeah, whatever. 
But then people like you will look at that and, and sort of have be a lot more interested in that sort of stuff yeah. than, than yeah. most people. Are. Obviously, Absolutely. you guys would be more interested in the trends and stuff, but... Um, mm. Whoa, okay, very interesting. Okay, so then obviously what you're doing now is highly specialized. Yep. So before you got into, let's call it internal risk advisory, yep. what did you do before this? So before this, I did external risk advisory. Mm-hmm. Um, so where companies would come to us and we were an advisory firm, yep. like a consultant. Mm-hmm. They'd pay us and we would help them manage their, um, this is what they call markets risk. Right. Um, and prior to that, I did investments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So ex- external risk advisory, is that the same thing what you're doing now just for external clients? Yeah, yeah exactly. So you would, so your, your, ex- your clients are other institutions that have their own customers? Mm, no, no, sorry. So, um, clients would, in that case, would be, so same as the bank, like mm. the, like a mining company yep. might come to us and say we don't know how to manage our risk. Ah, okay. So you are you're a consultancy that yes. your 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 clients are other companies who will just go direct to you guys yes, as opposed right. to a bank. Because sometimes um they want someone independent. Right. To be able to give them advice, which is quite important. Right. Okay, okay. Ah, that because obviously you have other options other than the banks. Yes. And and hence yeah. hence external risk advisory. Excellent. Okay, so Jesus, all coming together now. Mm. Now, investments, that's a very <laughs> generic term. Mm. What does that mean? So, you're in investments before external risk advisory. So, investments, um, there are heaps of different um, investment classes. Um, a lot of property um, investment firms at the moment. Mm. Um, what I was in was a fund of hedge fund. Um, so, that... Say that again. A what of hedge? Fund of hedge funds. A fund of... Oh, it was a fund in a, in a hedge fund. Ah. Uh, no, it was a fund. Of, <laughs> so, what they mean by that is a fund which invests in hedge funds. Oh, right. So, you might, I might go to you. Yep. You should put your money in this fund. Uh-huh. And you'll be like, why would I invest in that fund? I don't even know what it does. Uh-huh. I'll tell you what it does. It invests in other funds. Right. Okay. And what sort of funds? Hedge funds. What are hedge funds? That's... A whole different. I was actually <laughs> very we, confused. We can get to that. We can get. We're definitely going to touch okay. on that briefly because I'm sure there's a lot of people who, you know, may not even have heard of, of that term before, especially the, the the younger crowd out there. So, um, but just once again, just taking the thing that so you called that say a fund that made, uh, invests in in hedge hedge funds. That's mm-hmm. called a fund a, a fund of hedge funds. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do you normally say it's a fund of hedge funds or is it just called head of hedge funds, like a uh, standard term? It would be called a fund of hedge funds. Okay, a fund um, of hedge funds. Okay, that makes sense. So, it's like a fund a, of hedge funds. So, if you have a equity fund, mm. um, so let's say it invests in, you know, Woolworths, yep. Dick Smith, whatever, um, that would be an equity fund. Right. Equity being shares. Equity being shares. Okay. Right. Um, whereas... This would not invest in any of those. This would invest in funds which invest in. So right. it's like a layered fund. So, so obviously there's a whole bunch of different types of investments, like you mentioned, like property, um, equity, or shares, or hedge funds. And you work specifically in um, hedge funds, specifically a fund of hedge funds. Yep, that's right. And what was your role there? Were you doing the actual investment, the uh, trading? I was the risk manager there 
for most of my life there. Um, and that responsibility was basically looking at the risk of the investment portfolios. Um, so for all the funds to make sure that they were in line with the mandate of the fund. So each fund, when, when you sign up and say, I want to invest in that, there's a mandate for the fund, which says, this is what the fund does. This is how much risk it's going to take. And this is how much return it's targeting. So part of the, my risk mandate was to make sure that it was following those objectives. Mm. Right. Digressing here a little bit, then I guess your role, and I'm, when I say your, your role, because there's obviously a pattern here of risk management, yeah, yeah. risk analysis, mm. your role has become much more important post the global financial crisis. Mm. I, theoretically, mm. yes. Um, but I mean, it's, it's been important throughout. Yeah, sorry, I should go rephrase the question. It's come under the spotlight. Under the spotlight. That's that's the phrase Um, I was looking for. Yes. But that's so when someone says risk has come under the spotlight a lot more, that's true. But there are so many different aspects of risk. Mm. You know, like if you say, you know, IT is booming Mm. in Australia or booming around the world, you can say yes, but not all aspects of IT and not all aspects of risk. Mm. Um, So in this case, what I'm covering is market risk more recently and prior to that portfolio risk right investments which are very separate to the standard large areas of risk you would find in a bank right which you know handles risk (laughs) from rogue rogue traders Mm. from operational risk from fraud um and all this other stuff there are so many different risk functions wow um, that have to be looked at and GFC was just one one aspect, right? Actually, G- GFC was what year did that hit us again? That was two thousand eight and nine. Two thousand eight and nine, right? Just to well, two thousand eight impact later. So, so it is now two thousand and sixteen. So gee, that's already to me it just feels like a couple of years ago, but it's actually <laughs> eight years ago. Yeah. Wow, that's nuts. All right, cool. Wow, that's that's a lot of information there. Um, okay, so. Just before we get off the whole risk um, topic, yeah. if someone was – like if someone graduated uni and whatever and whatever, we'll get to that in a little bit. We, if one, Let's say for someone who goes into a specific area of risk, yeah. and like you said, there's a whole bunch of different type of risk that you can get yourself into. Is it easy to – or possible to sort of uh, move into a different type of risk management within the same financial market thing or does your knowledge be- start becoming very specific to to hedge funds um, and if you were there for X number of years it's going to be very difficult to move mm-hmm. out and go into say uh, commodity risk or yeah. something like that so I've been working for ballpark what 12 years mm. now and I think the general trend is the longer you work the more specialized you become. Mm. And the more specialized you become, the harder it is for you to move to a different area. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, So if you, I think it's important early in your career to find what you want to do um, and then progress in that. Um, My strategy, because I didn't really know what I wanted, Mm. um, was to pick up different skill sets and not specialize too far down one one direction mm. so that if I wanted to move to another area, I could. And ah. 
And also, I think that helps with um, getting a broader set of skills, mm. which is usually very useful when you want to progress into into a management or senior sure. management role. Sure, sure. Actually, that yeah, that that sounds like a really smart way about it. Actually, so so when you say not too specialized, sort of how many years are you looking or months in a in a specific role before changing? So my first role, I spent five years, right? Um, and then the next company, I spent two years, mm-hmm. and the following company, five years, right? Total twelve years. So so to me, five years in a single spot. Did you move around in the in the five years or um, like? So there was progression. Yeah, I got promoted, but. It's still in the same area. Right. So, the skill set and understanding of how that business works, um, still sort of the same thing, even though you're doing a different thing within that. Gotcha. That area. All right. So, five years and two years and then five years. So, mm. and obviously, even just that will already give you a very, br- um, a, yeah. a wide range of experience. Yes. Yeah. So, now I know how a bank works internally. Right which is, is just like a maze to anyone outside of the mm-hmm. bank. I know how a consultant works. Mm. And I know how an investment firm works. Wow. Which is important if I ever get pushed into a small company mm. and we have to interact with a bank or an investment firm or with a consultant, mm. I know how to pull the strings to get what I want from the other side because I know right. what happens behind the phone calls I make. Now. Yep. So, it's important. Fantastic. That's Wow. That's, that's really, really cool. Right, because I mean, for me, before I even had this conversation, I mean, I've been talking to you for forever, <laughs> yeah. and obviously, you know, when we're with our mates and stuff, we're not going to sit down and talk to this level of detail about this no. thing. So, um, it's actually really cool that uh, this this sort of stuff is being explained to someone because it's very because I don't know many of us people who don't work in the financial industry, the moment we start hearing like these. Key finance, especially like <laughs> commodities, risk, exposure, hedge hedge funds. Our brains just switch off, mm. and we're like, uh, "No idea." But um, the fact that we could delve into that a little bit more and, and make a bit of sense of it—that that actually is very cool. Um, all right, so okay, cool. So obviously, risk management, risk management has been your thing. Mm. Now, and he, and here's the problem when we talk to people, especially when we're trying to work out what we want to do for a career. You, you hear all these generic terms, and risk management being one of those. Mm. Um, it's, it's obviously you've sort of explained what that means a little bit more. But then, if we take that a step further, risk analysis. What is that? Is that is that is that reading reports? Is that doing maths? Is that talking to people? What what actually is is risk analysis? So there's different ways of for you in your context. Yeah. Well, there are heaps of different types, um, and so there are risk guys who just sit and deal with numbers all day, mm. and then there are risk guys who just talk to you mm. and do no numbers. Mm. In mine, it's sort of a mix mm. um, where I have to talk to someone, understand, try and understand what the risk is for that particular company. Um, and then try and find a solution with the products that my bank has to solve that problem. Um, wow. So that's actually, to me, that sounds like a very, yeah, like you said, a very niche role yeah. where you need the technical skills. When I say technical, the number skills, mm-hmm. plus you need to be able to speak with the sales guys yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So it's not just the sales guys. We'll also speak to the client. Mm. So we also have to sell the solution 
to the client and then educate them if they need to understand. Right. So it's a uh, so the technical skills I feel like I've built up over the initial parts mm. of my career, and the soft skills are coming in now because you know once you have the technicals, it's not enough. You still have to communicate your solution mm. effectively. Yep. Right, because I mean, I know, and for those of you who are listening, I know for a fact that I mean, Dennis's say math is just crazy awesome. Like he's very strong at math, and hence I asked the question because I was just wondering, because I know when it comes to logic and and sort of mathematical problem solving and stuff, I mean, that's Dennis's bread and butter, so to so to speak. So just wondering, do you do you use a lot of those? Mathematical skills in your risk analysis yep. sounds yep. like you do. Yeah, so yeah. I find that part easy. Right, um, the other people <laughs> not as much. Right, but that part is easy for me. So, and I've built technical skills usually get built over the first five or so years yep. in your career. Um, right, and then post that they say soft skills are far more important. Right. So, I think it's once you get into roles like mine, it's a given that you have to be able to do all that mathematical that stuff, use stuff. a spreadsheet, build the model. Um, yeah. Actually, that's a good point. So, a lot of your math is, are we talking scribbling formulas and stuff on a piece of paper or is it all done in Excel or something uh, else? It's mostly done in Excel. Sometimes when I brainstorm, I start right. writing stuff on, right. on a notepad, but mostly in Excel. Um, but you still need some, um, good fundamental understanding of mathematics to do, let's say you want to build a model to run a simulation. Right. Um, you still need to be able to build something in building formulas or macros to, to run a simulation in Excel. Right. Um, and then if you want that simulation to have some sort of distribution, um, I'm talking massive, but if you mm. want a normal distribution, you must know how to create that in Excel. Mm. Um, so Right. So, obviously, Microsoft Excel skills are just uh, fundamental yeah. to, to – I think it's not only your role, I guess, but in, in uh, across the financial industry – Mm. Every person I, I I talk to, Excel always somehow comes yeah. into the conversation. So, so, all right, excellent. That is very interesting. Okay, so, <clears throat> I'm, I'm I'd like to sort of touch on um, just before we sort of take a little bit of a step back from from your job. I'll sort of just ask a couple of things about your day to day stuff, and then we'll move on. And we'll just reach for some lovely. Actually, we're sipping on some lovely chamomile <laughs> tea in a normally sun, sunny Piedmont in Sydney, New South Wales, in Australia. Fortunately, it's raining today. I actually happen to like the rain, so um, I'm happy. Can I say last last thing about banking? Yes. Um, and people who are searching for a career, mm. um, banking can be very cutthroat. Um, mm. So I've seen a lot of people go into banking. Um, and a lot of people don't get very far in their banking careers. And I think one of the reasons which I've done okay in the banking career is that, um, it's very political. Mm. Like, like if you watch something like House of Cards, mm-hmm. you have a lot of people who are very cutthroat, will, willing to stab you in the back, in the back to progress mm. and so you have to be able to deal with that sort of emotional um with emotional resilience right and i'm i guess i'm just bent towards that mm. i can deal with that sort of thing which mm. is why i progress further than most actually thanks keep in mind if you want a career in banking mm. people usually pr- pr- 
get into banking because it pays a lot mm. compared to some of the other careers. Mm-hmm. And the people who do that are, you know, more willing to go further to to get that promotion ahead of you. Actually, that's, actually, we'll, we'll stay on this one. I was going to bring this up a little bit later, but this is actually a good good time you, you bring this up. So, mm. um, I, I guess that sort of sort of fits the stereotype that a lot of people often associate with banking in general. Um, I guess initially, cut- cutthroat also being quite a quite a general. Well, so some people with a very say optimistic view might just call that very competitive, mm. or you know um, they're like the competition and they thrive on that type of thing. But like you said, I, I guess it takes a time. You have to be relatively thick skinned, I guess, yep. to be able to deal with to deal with people who are willing to be unkind to mm. you, to be dishonest to you in your face, and who you know you cannot trust sometimes to look out for you mm. because they're there for the money. They're not there. They're not like mm. doctors. They're, they're not there to take care of other people and save lives. They're there to – a lot of them are there to make money. Mm. Mm. Um, and those that sort of people, generally higher amount of them are willing to do sure. worse things. Okay. So, I mean, I, I guess, of course – there are. I'm, I'm guessing there are also some good people mm, there yeah. as well. Yeah. So I guess like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that one? I sit that one in. Close. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm better than the average. Right. 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 In that area. So so hence I guess when you and and political see this political world word comes up all the time. Oh, mm. today was tough because you know this project's getting really political or whatever. <laughs> in in your context, what is what does that actually mean? Is is, is po- political just people not getting along, or is it dealing oh. with people? What what does political? So mean when to I think you? political, I I think about um, two things come to mind: dishonesty mm. and willing to do injustice. To get what you want. So, Mm. you know, the example, most political stuff might be, I know this person deserves the promotion, Mm. but I will give it to this other person Mm. because they will support me in my promotion. Right. You know, dishonesty, injustice to achieve a higher goal Mm. of what they want. In in some systems, like in, in politics, it might mean a higher goal to get a law passed which you think is really important for the betterment of the country. Right. In banking, it probably means how to make more money. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, arguably, you could also argue laws get passed for <laughs> yeah. to advance the political yeah. part. I guess that's where it comes yeah. from. It's, it's, all, it's political. It's politics. Yeah. So, right. that's what I mean when I say mix of dishonesty and yeah, yeah injustice yeah. in the short term to achieve your outcome, whatever that is. That's right. I guess, unfortunately, we, we don't live in, <laughs> in a perfect world. And, uh, right, everyone's looking out for themselves, um, some people more than others. Mm. And I guess that that word, political, is what happens when, when people have to deal with that. Yeah. Hey, that, that's, that was summed up really well. I haven't actually heard anyone sum, sum that up <laughs> that well. Because you know, everyone sort of talks about it. But it's very difficult to actually define something like that. So, um, that's probably... One of the uh, one of the much better descriptions I have heard of that word political. Right. So then, in terms of um, for for yourself, I know we've touched on it a little bit, but for for you, what what is a typical day? Like, what time do you start and finish? Yeah. And and so, what time you normally rock up to work? So eight to five is the 
hours on my contract. 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Right? 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, I a lot of people work start earlier and end later mm. in my area, um, but I I'm by far the outlier, and I just start at eight, finish at five, and try and do um, keep to those hours because I. You know, that's I need to do things outside of work. Right. So, uh, two questions there. One is when you say people, other people work early and later. How much early and how much later? So, seven thirty to six would be reasonable. Okay. Oh, or seven thirty to five thirty would be reasonable. Seven thirty oh. to six. So that's like not quite a twelve-hour day, but almost. Mm. Uh, when you say your area, are you talking about your risk management? Team specifically, uh, just so I work in area called global markets, right? So that incorporates what people normally see as the trading floor, where people yell at each other. Oh, right, yes, yes. Um, so that sort of area I'm talking about. Okay, okay. So about seven thirty to six, and and you and and of course, work life balance is something that we all care about a lot. Some of us mm. are much better at it than others. Mm. I, I know for a fact that you do it very well. Um, now, is that because? Now, you, I always hear the phrase, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Um, I'm still yet <laughs> to confirm whether that's a myth or not. Yeah. Uh, obviously, obviously, there are there are smarter ways to work, but, you know, things like deadlines and, and things like that happen. For yourself, when 5 p.m. hits, mm. uh, normally you've done all your critical things by that time and you can go, or is, yeah. it doesn't matter how important it is, I'm out of here. Sort of uh, happened, I've basically done all the critical things yeah. by then. Um, right. So, some key key things um, which I've done to make to allow me to leave at five every day is I've always made it clear to my boss mm. um, what to expect from me mm. and make sure that they're okay with that. Um, so, my, once your boss is on board, that's good. My I find it easy to say no. Mm-hmm. A lot of people find it hard to say no, mm. um, but you know, if you train and practice, you can say no. Mm. It's not it's not an obligation to help out other people with their work. You can always say no. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I've done that. And the last thing is my offering at work. So, I think it's key that everyone knows what they're offering at work. Mm. So what, when, when your boss hires you, whoever hires you, what are they hiring for? And when in your interview, what are you saying you do better than other people? Mm. And if your offering is, I work harder and longer, mm. And that's what you're going to have to do to fulfill your end of the bargain. Right. And then your work-life balance is not going to be very good. Right. But if your offering is something else, and so my offering is never I work harder and longer. Mm. My offering is I'm better educated. Mm. I've trained more mm. so that I can offer you more. Mm. What I offer, so what I offer is not long hours. What I offer is the good ideas or the thinking which no one else could do. Mm. And I'll, I can do that in four hours and finish my day. Right. And that is what I'm offering you. And you, you can hire me if you want. Mm. And that's what I'm offering. I'm not offering to work 12 hours a day. Right, you right. that, find someone else. Yep. Um, and I'm lucky because I've done enough um, education mm. to be able to offer that and hold the line when it comes to hours. But if you're not in a good bargaining position, it's harder. Yeah, so, definitely. Um, now I'm guessing that this. So I'll, I'll <laughs> one point to working smarter, not harder. Uh, what you've just explained seems to be something like that. Mm. Now, now this you touched on a very, uh, very key point there, and 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 learning to say no. Now that's 
very difficult to do, especially in, uh, let's call it the merit, meritocracy, if I can say it right. Yeah. Or, uh, or, or as, you know, as a corporate environment gets, it's, it, it is quite competitive and everyone wants to do a good job, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, now, when, saying no, I'm, I'm guessing that's a, a skill. I'm going to call it a skill, mm. a skill that you developed over time, or is this something you found easy to do from the get go, from um, your first or second year at work? So I actually never found it easy to do. Mm. Um, like a lot of people, I think, inbuilt into me as one of my like fundamental things. I this assumed was right was that you go to work. Mm. If people ask you for help, mm. especially if they're more senior. You have to help them. Right, right. Um, the whole hierarchy thing. Correct. But I had to break that at some stage because I guess I was lucky enough that when I was throughout my career, I've had multiple senior people ask me for different things. Mm. So I've had to learn to say no to one or the other. Because it's physically impossible. It's physically impossible yeah. to do and keep two people happy. Right. And so I learned young that early on that. You can say no, mm. and it's okay to say no. Mm. And the people above you in the corporate hierarchy are not always right, mm-hmm. often wrong. Mm. Um, so, and if you say no, it's not no, I'm not going to do my job. Mm. It's no, I'm not going to do your job mm. um, for you. <laughs> right. And that's yep. oftentimes what happens in the corporate world. Right. Um, and it's easier when you're senior, mm. more senior. And you have the ability to make decisions on what you should and shouldn't do. Right. Um, but like, very hard when you're a junior. And probably of course. not recommended when you're a junior. Yep, yep. Um, but as you get older and more senior in your career, you have to learn to say no. Otherwise, right. you'll, you'll always be asked to do more. Correct. Like well, if I was someone else, why would I not give my work to you? Sure. And say, because there's a lot of gray lines when it comes to who should do what. Yep. within your team, outside of your team, mm. which team should be doing this work. And if you're the guy who says yes all the time, mm. then you're going to be working 12 hours a day for the rest of your life. Right, right. Wow. I, I just always love – obviously, you can hear there's a – Dennis has he, – he, he always has a clear logic when he talks about <laughs> things and that's why it's always so interesting to talk to him. And, of course, he's, he's just – noble honesty and it's just fantastic i love it mate i love it. it's great um now this this i'm gonna i'm gonna stay on this note a, a, a tad longer and we'll move on um when when you say no generally i guess it's recommended that you do, go about it with some level of diplomacy yes very um, important right so obviously you you do that yes well, okay there are so i've been taught the art of saying no without saying no. So <laughs> That's let's the say, key, guys. <laughs> let's say you you ask me, Dennis, can you? We're in the same team, right? And let's say you're a lazy, lazy yep. person. You go, Dennis, I haven't got from time truth. from this. <laughs> you know, can you cover do this thing for me? Yep. And so I've got to make a decision mm. whether I I think I should do it for you, right? Whether it's because I like you mm. or I don't like you or mm. whatever, or I think you're lazy and you're just pushing work to me. Yep. So let's say I decide to say no. Yep. I could this the first way I started saying no yep. when I was young before I learned the art of yep. saying no without saying no was no I'm not going to do it for you <laughs> you should do it yourself right okay. and then what does that open you up to that opens you up to him going to the manager saying Dennis wasn't helpful yeah I have stuff on my plate yep 
he thinks I'm lazy, but I'm not. In this yep. case, actually, I'm not. Here's the evidence. And then once in a while, you're stuffed because you're like, I thought he was just being lazy. Right. And now I've got a cross next to my name for being uncollaborative with my teammates. Right. Right. Yep, so, yep. so, don't do that. Yeah. Say no without saying no. So, this is what I was taught. Uh-huh. Say, and this is part of the politics and the, and the dishonesty and whatever. Yeah. But you have to do it in a nice way. So, you say, look, I really want to help you. I know it's important mm. what you've just asked me. I'm just really busy right now. Mm. Let me get back to you on this mm. tomorrow. Mm-mm. Or, but why don't you start mm. by doing this part first? Mm. That puts the ball back in their court mm. for doing something first. Mm. Doesn't, like in negotiation speak, it doesn't make you um, obligated to do anything. Right. And you've acknowledged their point of importance and wanting. And you've acknowledged that you want to help them, mm. but you haven't given them anything. And you can wow. decide tomorrow if you want to help them, or mm. you can come up with something else tomorrow and say, look, I'm actually doing something else for mm. someone else. You know, why don't you speak to them mm. if you want your work to be more prioritized? Mm-hmm. And then you put it back into their court. Mm. Um, so you can always do that mm. as if you have other work, which is yes. more important yes. for you. There you go. Very, mate, we might have to do a, a, a dedicated podcast on the art of saying <laughs> no. This is really interesting and, and very important, especially for many of us who are in working in the corporate world, myself included. Uh, that's something I struggle with all the time, saying no, no in a way that you're not going to burn your bridges yep. per se. Um, and some of us, it's, it's a lot, e- uh, a lot harder to do than others. You know, obviously some people by the, you know, certain personalities will, sort of put you in a position to make it easier or harder but you brought up a very good point where it's especially in the in the beginning when you're learning to say it, it's it's never easy it's, of course it's something that's very difficult to do mm. but um if it's a, it's actually a skill that you can hone and sharpen and learn to do properly yeah. or well well especially important in the corporate world because mm. i mean i don't like all this rubbish and mm. you know mm. lying to each other and dishonesty but in the corporate world, people are going to use that. There are some people right. who are dishonest and who who might just ask you to do work knowing mm. that you know they're lazy mm. um, and they might use you saying no against you. Mm. They might just build up ammunition and at the end of the year in your review, mm. you might suddenly be hit by your boss saying, this guy gave me a piece of paper which showed he asked for work six times for you to help mm. and you did not help. Mm, wow. Right? <laughs> so, you don't want that to happen. Right. And there are people like that. So, unfortunately, you have to learn if you want to progress, you want to, you will you want to learn how to say no without saying no, mm. so that they will not have the ammunition. Mm. Um, mm. But right. I mean, with someone you have a good relationship, you just say no. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. But when you need to say no without saying no to people who are trying to sabotage you mm. or people you're not really trusting, mm-hmm. then you have to you know, right. think about using that. That's right, because we all have our own full plates anyway. So mm. obviously, that's your priority. Of course, if you're in a position to help, you will. But most of the time, we've always got conflicting priorities. Yeah. There's always 10 things to do with time to only do five of them. So, it's all about prioritization. And and that's that's actually really uh, – that's some really good advice there. That's really good advice. Um, so, quick, we'll, we'll jump back to your typical day. I yeah. know we digressed a little bit, but this is this is good stuff. So, you start at around – what did you say? Eight. Eight, eight o'clock? Yeah. Um, and then sort of how did your day start? Do you, have you had breakfast already? You have breakfast uh, at work? I get in, uh, usually have breakfast at work, mm-hmm. read the news, yep. get an update on 
the markets mm-hmm. where stock market has gone, gold prices have gone, all the currencies read the um, economics report for the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I go towards my emails, cover them, make sure or if any new work comes out from there or yep. new people I've got to talk to to do my work. Um, and then basically the rest of the day is going through the the work I've had to do from yesterday, mm. um, which is, you know, whatever projects I'm still working on mm-hmm. or whatever's come through the email today. And then over the course of the day as well, yep. whilst I'm doing that, um, people will come to me and ask me questions or mm-hmm. ask me to do more work. And I just add it to my list yep. um, in the right priority order. Yep. And then I just slowly work away at my list. And okay. That can involve you know, working on spreadsheets yep. or writing, putting together PowerPoints to try and figure out how best to communicate an idea to someone mm. in a presentation mm-hmm. um, or just going to meetings and brainstorming with people, giving them, um, you know, um, like ideas on how to resolve it so I don't have to get involved if it's simple enough. Okay. So, okay, so at a high level, that, that, that's that's very that's very good. Now I'm just gonna when when you talk about you have break here and then you catch up on the news and stuff. Roughly, what time is it when you've done that? Just before you hit your emails. Um, like is that a long time or is that no, pretty quick? What, Fifteen to twenty minutes. Oh wow! So it's that, that quick. Yeah. So I mean, every morning we come in at eight o'clock. There's a call. Right. Um, for the whole floor, mm. um, which comes out with all our phones on the loudspeaker and goes through what's happened over oh. the course of the night, and that lasts for five to ten minutes. Right. And then there's um, emails sent out summarizing that as well, oh. and then other news, which I read. Right. So, it's that's interesting. So, you don't actually start your day on emails. You, you do whatever you got to do, do your meetings, do your catch-up, and then you hit the emails afterwards. Yeah. I mean, usually. usually. Like, obviously, there's a bit of give and take there. Yeah. Because I want to know what's happened in the market right, and where everything stands in financial markets before I start responding to people. Gotcha. Gotcha. Typically, how many emails do you have waiting for you in the inbox? So, I forgot all these rules set up. Yeah. So, my real inbox mm. um, only gets hit by, call it, 20 max. Right. Um, but a lot of emails get funneled into other other boxes. Is that stuff that you literally don't need to look at or is it just stuff that's less important and you don't want to waste your time uh, on it? usually don't have to look at it. Okay. Yeah. If you hadn't put your filter on, what would that 20 go up to? Maybe 120. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so your typical day, very, very cool. So then by the time you've, so you, there's lunch thrown in there somewhere, what do you do for lunch typically? Um, usually go out. Mm. Out to eat? Or? Out, meet a friend for lunch. Right. Have a chat, have lunch, or just grab lunch and eat at my desk whilst. Reading the news. Gotcha. Okay, so it's just right, right. So nothing in particular. Go out, grab your lunch, and and uh, so you, you need to go out and buy a lunch and then bring it back anyway, yeah, right? Yeah. Either way, so you eat it out or you bring it in. Yeah. Um, brainstorming. Are you? Is that specific to the risk analysis that you do? No. This so brainstorming is like I think a lot of roles you have mm. to think. Sometimes um, think strategically or come up with ideas. Or whatever it is. So in my case, um, a lot of the times the client comes with some sort of problem they're mm. trying to solve. Um, so it's got a 
put on the board all the ideas for solutions or something because it's complex and stuff mm. that comes to us. Sometimes we have to map out what the actual framework is, understand all the different aspects before we come up with a solution, um, that sort of thing. So it helps that you have more than one person right. when you do those things um, and also it helps that you can stick it on a board so everyone can work on the same. So you're literally just bouncing ideas off each other. Yeah, or, or bouncing my idea off someone else to make sure that it's it's right and it's nothing wrong right. with it. So in a brainstorming situation, I'm guessing that you're, you're, what you say isn't always necessarily from a risk analysis. Is Do you, do you put multiple hats on when you're in that uh, type of meeting? So I guess when I say brainstorm, it's not the, the standard just brainstorm, but getting to a room with other people mm. to share ideas or right. to test your ideas um, and... Um, risk is just one hat. Sometimes right. I've got to think strategy for my team. Ah. Um, sometimes I've got to think how am I going to, you know, help the sales effort gotcha. um, in terms of an idea to sell something. Right. Um, so, a lot of different hats. Um, <laughs> now, just bef- so let's say it's coming up to 5 o'clock, 4.30 or whatever. Mm. Um, is there anything that you typically do before you clock off? Like, do you, like, do you, I, I like for example, some people will, will try to empty their inbox before they go, or um, they need to check some final bit of news every day and get the latest update before the overnight markets. Or yeah. it's just make sure your priorities are done, and then out you go. The only thing I have in my head at the end of the day is the list of remaining things that are on my to do list. Yeah, and that's that's also on my Outlook. Yeah, like reminders. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's all I ensure is up to date. Right. So that I don't walk out of the office with something to do in my mind, which I haven't written down. Very good. That's very good. That's good old time management 101 there. Um, so you will literally leave everything at your office desk before you leave. Just like mm. tidy up your to-do list and of, for, for tomorrow, you don't need to worry about because you know you're going to work on it tomorrow. So there's yep. no need to think about it overnight. Yep. Just park that. And then you've got a free evening to do whatever you want. Exactly, yeah. Perfect. That's um, that's very important. All right. So you've just described a typical day. If you from in your typical day, what would happen that would turn it into an absolute crappy day? We all have those. What's um, a really so my crappy days are usually to do with people, not <laughs> yeah. to do with work. Right. Um, and I think that's standard for a lot of people. It is. It is. Um, because work is. I mean, it can be good bad work, can be bad work, but really, it's just work. Work's work. After yes. five years of doing it or <laughs> eight hours a day, you're not that that fast if you have to do photocopying for an hour. Right, right. But if someone treats you badly, mm. whether they swear at you, mm. they treat you with no respect, or they backstab you, mm. that feels bad. Mm. And that any sort of behavior like that can change my day from good day to bad day. Right. Wow. But harder and harder over time mm. as my skin thickens. Right. I'm sorry that to occur to me. So, so dealing with that type of thing comes with experience. But yes, obviously something, if there is an event or, or mm. some circumstances. Right. So does that, what do you do? Do you just drop everything and go for a walk or you just keep working and just try not think about it or? I'm lucky enough to have friends at work mm. who I can talk to right. about so this. Talk it out. Mm. Which is really important. So if, if, if my headspace isn't right, so mm. someone's just tried, tried to bully me or, yes. or whatever, going for a walk can cool me down, but it's still very hard to get perspective. Mm. But when you talk to someone else, 
whether you have a mentor at work or whoever, um, a friend who's supportive and who can give you perspective, that's important. Mm. Um, otherwise, I can call my wife. Yep. Um, or just if I don't have anything to do, just walk out, sit in the park for 10 minutes mm. and feel better about it. I can see a very um, important theme coming out here is is communication. So, even when you're under a lot of stress, communicating with your peers, your wife, your friends is one very important way of of being an outlet and sort of mm. maintaining some degree of sanity, I guess. Yeah. But also, I say that because earlier on in the conversation, you were saying where, you know, uh, setting expectations with your boss and if there's um, conflicting interests and priorities, you, you you mentioned that always making sure your boss is on board. Mm. Um, you know, and, and even if you're going to say no to someone without saying no, mm. um, just – Communicating openly, acknowledging their their side, um, keeping the communication channels open, as opposed to just shutting up yep. and and pushing them away. Yep. You're actually you're talking it through, and mm. that's really important. Yeah, I think um, because you work, people work so much mm. um, that often things become quite emotional because they're so invested mm. at work, and when someone says something bad about you, says something bad about your work, yep. people take it very personally. Yes. And sometimes people don't mean that, mm. um, but sometimes they do. Mm. Or sometimes it's just their personality and they do it to everyone. Right. Um, when that happens, you're going to get have to deal with how that impacts you. Yep. And for most people, it impacts us badly emotionally. Yeah. But to react to that in the corporate world is deemed unprofessional. Correct. In an emotional way. Mm. So, you have to learn how to deal with that emotional, emotionally, whether you have an emotional outlet, which yep. works for most people. Mm. Um, in my case, I can talk to someone and it'll be mostly okay. Yep. Give it a bit of time and it goes away. Some right. people go for a gym session during lunchtime, mm-hmm. you know, whatever works for you. But yeah. find something which works, I think, is the main thing. Some very, very wise advice there once again. Thanks. Thanks, Dennis. Okay. So, then, typical day, what would turn that into a really, really good day? Hmm. Well, Is there such a thing? <laughs> I'm trying to think about. So I don't exactly. I can't exactly think of a good day. <laughs> Not an extremely good day. Like every day is a good day because yeah. I guess expectations for myself is that I go to work, come back, I feel okay, mm. like nothing bad's gone wrong. Yep. And work is just for me anyway. The objective of work is go there, get some social contact, mm. have a bit of work that's challenging, mm. um, have a good time with my colleagues, mm. and hopefully we all get along and don't annoy each other, mm-hmm. and then come home without bringing any bad stuff home yep. so that I can go about the rest of my life. And every day that basically happens, so it's a success every day, but in terms of much better, I don't actually... Think anything. I don't expect more from work. It doesn't give me any more than that. Sure, yeah. sure. Okay, yeah. So I mean, I, I think that's that's very similar to me in some respects. As 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 long as nothing bad, if nothing <laughs> bad has happened it's in the day, then it's a good day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that applies just to life in general. A lot of people often say, "Oh, how's your day going?" So oh, nothing's happened. It's it's it's, it's, yeah. it's quote unquote boring. But in oh, fact, the fact that nothing's happened is probably made, means that it's a good day. There's been no accidents. No disasters, yeah. no no bad situations. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think 
you, you pretty much yeah that's that's probably the ultimate the, the real honest answer <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> it's a good day is a day when nothing bad happens yeah. no it's very very good right so then um when you're uh we've we've touched on it in, i think maybe briefly but if we were to sum up if, if there was I'm going to ask, you know, what do you love and hate about your job to sort of close this off? Um, how would you summarize? Is there a single thing or, or what's the main area that you really don't like about your job or that makes your job difficult? So I think I'm, I'm lucky to be in a, an area of work which challenges me, like challenges me sometimes because it's hardish to find mm. and I like the challenge. Um, but I think what I'm luckiest about mm. is the people I work with and I get along. And right. that, that is so hard to find. A boss which you can respect mm-hmm. and a team who you get along with. Right. I think I, I feel very lucky to have that. Yep. Um, and so that's what I'm happiest about. The thing which I'm least happy about mm. um, are the number of people mm. who are dishonest Mm -hmm. and unkind at work Mm. Um, because I found that in the corporate world that doesn't stop you from progressing Mm. and sometimes it helps you to progress. Um, And so the amount of people like that in positions of power and who bully people underneath them, Mm. um, that's the thing which which makes me unhappiest the most at work Mm. um, when I see that happen and it happens too much. Right, that's very true. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll just go back on the thing that you mentioned. Yeah, a, a job. I think that's a job that's challenging and you find stimulating. Mm. And if you get along with the people around you at that job, that's it's pretty much that's that's a place to stay. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's very as 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 strange as it sounds. It's it's very hard to get those two right. So hard. It's very it's very difficult. Um. So, so actually, this is more out of personal curiosity. So, are you saying the technical stuff is also challenging for you? Technical stuff is also challenging. It's also challenging. I thought for Sometimes. you, it'd be like a breeze. It'd be like, oh, oh, this is easy because we're like the the team where all the complex problems come. Ah. Once in a while, you get something more. You challenging, always get a special. <laughs> whereas it's very hard to find a role where all the complex stuff, of course, comes like funnels towards you, right. and then you get to deal with it because ah. you're the brains. That's good because you get a lot, a lot of the let's, let's say boring stuff filtered out, mm. and you have the the interesting. Yeah, you get the interesting work. stuff. Wow, so, that's really cool. But it's also high expectations. Oh, you true. have to solve it and say bring it to you. Try. It. Oh, right, right. And I guess there's usually deadlines and stuff associated yep. with that type of thing. Mm. Um, but you've you, you've worked in a way where you will ensure that you'll do the important stuff first, so you get out on time. Well, is that the way it works? Uh, I control the deadlines. At the end of the day, oh. my work, I'll tell you when, when it needs to be done. Very smart advice there, so, guys. So, advice. you're doing the work and it's some other team asking you guys, right. how would they know how long it takes for you to do exactly. it? Exactly. They don't know how many other things you have on your plate. So, you get to say, look, I understand what you said, uh-huh. whatever they said. I understand what you said. I understand it's important, whatever it is, but... I have these other things at work, right. so I will be able to get back to you with this work done in one week. Mm. If that's not okay, <coughs> you should think about another way to do it. 
Oh, right, right. It's their problem, not yours. That's very good. Because I guess uh, for many of us, and, and myself included, you, you, a piece of work will come in over the phone, yada, 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 and then it comes to timeline requirements. And yeah. I often make, and I, I, I still do it all the time, and it's, it's a big mistake that I do, I think, is I will ask them, when do you need this by? Yeah. And I think many of us do that, which then puts the ball into their court, and then and they say, they'll say something that- In one hour. In say something very difficult. So, like, for, I'll, often I'll do that to sort of get the feelers out to see how urgent it is for them. Um, but I guess it's better rather than put yourself in a situation where you have to uh, justify why you can't meet that deadline. Mm. Just put your suggestion yeah. forth first yep. and then take it from there. Well, okay, so you say one week and they say, oh, my God, I need it tomorrow. Then you'll say... Well, then there has to be a different way because yeah, I can't you, do it. Well, then I won't be able to do this mm. in that sort of time period right? because we're not resourced for that or whatever. Right. I've got other more important priorities I've got to attend to first because I deal with other people. Right. So, can why don't you start on some of this right, or why right. don't you do this? Do, um, do you ever tell them to talk to your boss? If, if, no. Because if, you know your own work portfolio. So I know the, my own work and yeah. I know my boss has got my back. Right. So, if they want to elevate it to the, my boss. He's going to come and ask you anyway. They've got to, yeah, well, he's going to come and ask me, but, <laughs> but they've got to take it to my boss. Uh, right? And so, if they want to do that, they can say, I'm going to take it up with your boss. Yeah. You're like, okay, if you want to go that way, yeah. that's fine. You can play hardball. Yes. But I've already won this because my boss has got my back, <laughs> which is fine, but don't offer it to them. Right. Um, but if they want to take it there, you've already won right. the game there. But I like that. That's a key phrase. Set your own deadlines. That's very good. Okay. So, to perhaps slowly close off this work slot side, early on in the conversation you mentioned, I guess the, the problem with us, especially when we are back in the day when we're students, we have absolutely no idea what we want to do. And I'm sure mm. there's a lot of listeners out there who are, who are perhaps in that same situation. Like, you, you just got, it's a catch-22 situation, right? Because no, you're, not, you're not actually going to know what it is until you actually go and do it. Yeah. But then... You don't want to choose something that you're not going to like, but you're not going to know whether you like it or not until you actually do it. Um, you talk to people. Um, I, I guess that's what this this podcast is partially about, just trying to uh, uncover um, some of the layers of, of the various occupations out there to help poten- potential students and, and um, you know, existing employees out there to, to get a better understanding. Now, with yourself, how did you end up deciding to head towards the financial markets what, what sort of yeah. lent you that way so i basically did actuarial studies because i was good at math and math was important in actuarial studies and wasn't as important in medicine or in dentistry or in law right so, so I'll, I'll, I'll pause Asian you there for options. a second <laughs> <laughs> yes that is the uh that that is correct um wait now for, for those who are not familiar because the first time i heard the word actuarial i was like what the hell is that can you can you briefly so actuarial what studies is um this a course you can do um and typically so after you do it you get called an actuary um and they are basically people who have um skills in mathematics and finance mm. and statistics and combined they're very useful for um, companies where you have amounts of money in the future where you have to pay out or receive where you don't know how much money it is 
as based off statistics. So, like life insurance companies mm. where they have to pay out life insurance over time, but they're not sure how much, mm. but they've got a lot of people who they've got to pay it out to. They need actuaries to figure out how much it's going to be because if you do statistics and combine with finance and mathematics, you can figure out approximately how much that's going to be and how it might look. So, Right. So, so that would mean, for example, is that where would you use an actuary in, say, a life insurance company to help determine what the monthly premiums would be on yeah, certain packages? Right. Yep. So that would need to work out how much the client needs to pay for it to be economically viable for yes. the company. Yep. And that's so, what they do. Yeah, exactly. Right. So when you buy a life insurance policy, <laughs> um, some actuary would have worked out how much money that would be worth mm. because there's a chance of you you know, cashing in on that every year mm. and how much they would have to pay out. And then they say, well, in terms of equal amount of premium, you have to pay monthly or whatever. This is the amount. Mm. And obviously not simple. So that's why you need someone who's trained in that area. Right, right. So obviously now the other occupations you mentioned, medicine, law, um, and what was the other one you mentioned? Dentistry. And dentistry. <laughs> so obviously um, – uh, you're fortunate enough to be academically very strong to be able mm-hmm. to have those options for you. Yeah. Um, do you need that really high ac- academic credential to get into uh, your area or maybe not as specialized as you, but like is that almost – do you need that to sort of um, go anywhere? Well, you need a certain amount of um, qualifications to do do the, you know, my current role, mm. um, as with whatever role. Um, but to get those qualifications, you have to be academic enough to get into the course right. and then hardworking enough to graduate, to, to graduate that mm. course with good enough marks to get a role in the industry. So, so a, a university degree, would you, do you think you would get in the industry without a university degree? Um, say it's a much ring? harder, right. much harder. Because everyone who's I work, who I work with in my team can do I don't know what they call it now, but mm. back then it was like four unit mathematics, right? Um, but basically, if, if that to explain to you what a normal distribution is and how it comes about, they'll be able to do that mm. and program it into Excel, right? So for well, for for you listeners, four unit mathematics, I guess here for us in our time at High school was the the highest level of math that you could do um, for your university entrance exams at at, at um, uh, in year in year twelve or um, your your final year of senior high school. So that, that's that's what we happen to call it at the time. Um, I don't know what it's called these days, mm-hmm. but if, as, essentially it's the highest level of math that you can do. It's, it's very challenging for. For, for your standard non-mathematical person, but I guess for, if, if you are math- mathematically minded, then, um, it's, it's, would you say it's interesting? Difficult? Math. Four unit math? Four unit math was very hard. Well, it was very difficult for everyone. Okay. So it was hard for everyone. There you go. And I was a math person. The, yes, I mean, I, I know you are a math person. So, yes, yeah, so obviously, um, if, if you're mathematically oriented, then sort of a lot of, let me, let me flip it the other way. So if, if you want to do actuarial studies, mm. your math needs should your math has to be very has good. to be good. Or if it's not good, you need to be that minded so you can yeah. uh, learn it very quickly. Right. So, university degree is highly recommended. Um, 
to go into it. Okay, so I mean, in, in closing on that, just in general, if for any people who are out there who um who are wanting to pursue a career in this field, mm-hmm. what what would be the main piece of advice that you would give them? I, I, you, it could be one of the ones you've already mentioned. There's plenty of advice that you've mentioned already. Yep. But is there anything that you'd like to highlight for them? Like if you want to pursue a... Uh, so I, yeah. I, I've seen a lot of people, um, especially in my actuarial course, um, but also outside of my actuarial course, I've seen a lot of people who are very intelligent um, who technically were very capable, mm. um, but they didn't progress because they never worked on their soft skills. Right. Um, so the key thing I would say is, you know, you obviously have to work hard in the start of your career and all that stuff, mm. but your soft skills have got to be improved over time. So if you come out of university and you, you've done math and you've done finance and you've done some risk and you say, yes, I can do, do that work now, you haven't been taught soft skills. You haven't been taught how to negotiate. You haven't been taught how to say no without saying no. You haven't been taught how to deal with emotional bullies mm. at work. You haven't been taught how to do show leadership at work. All those things you have to learn, communication, sales, everything, if you want to progress. Because mm. they say after the first five years, it's no longer your technical skills that help you progress because mm. everyone after five years can do the work. Right. Otherwise, you would have been fired. Mm. And then what gets you promoted is your soft skills so work on those that's my my tip and how do, how do you i mean there's no degree in soft skills per se there may be courses out there how does one endeavor to fast track themselves on the soft skill progress, so, so to speak? there are lots of training courses yep. um you can go on um, i've been on a negotiating course how to handle difficult people course that sort of thing and then obviously experience right and they always say it's helpful to have a mentor who's good at it as well. Right. Uh, I will, we'll come back to that uh, that mentor stuff. That's that's good that you bring that up actually. So, do do you find training court those training courses helped? Uh, good. Yeah, I like them. Um, they give you time away from work. Yeah. <laughs> but also, it gives you different concepts which you can think about when you're dealing with it. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Uh, last question on career, uh, your occupation. If you could do it all over again, mm. <laughs> would you choose a different career or occupation or you reckon you'd, you'd stick with this one? I love this question. I'd stick with it. Uh, really? I don't know how any other career would have turned out, um, wow. but I know this one turned out pretty well, so I'd stick with it. That is fantastic. That, that just put a shoe down my spine, mate. That's fantastic. Yeah. If, if you can say that, then I'd, mate, I'd say that's, that's absolutely fantastic. Good on you. Right, so we'll um so that's it for occupation and that's it for episode 1. Before I go, I realized that uh, one thing Dennis and I never came back to in part 1 was the topic of hedge funds. Of course, we can ask Dennis more about it when we have him back on the show one of these days, or we can throw this question at a future guest from the financial industry, but for the moment, uh I have added a link to a definition that I found on the web. Just Google hedge funds and go to the Investopedia link. Uh, There's a great two-minute video there, which gives an easy-to-understand quick summary of what they're about, which I'll put in the show notes as well. In the next episode, we change it up and talk rest and play with Dennis. That is, what does he do to chillax 
and recharge outside of work. That episode is loads of fun and jam-packed with gold nuggets of interesting information as well, so check it out when you get a chance. Also, if you like what you've heard so far and you'd love to support the show, there is a way. You can become a patron via patreon.com, that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, and you can find us by searching for We Work, Rest and Play, all one word, from the Patreon homepage. You'll gain a bunch of exclusive access and benefits, so definitely worth checking out. Every little bit of support is a huge help and goes a very long way in keeping this show alive. And of course, thank you very much for listening. To make sure you automatically receive new episodes, don't forget to follow or subscribe to the podcast via your favorite podcast app. And if and when you feel like it, it would be great if you could spend a few seconds to leave a review to let me know what you think about the show. You can also refer to the website, weworkrestandplay.com for the show notes. And we shall continue talking with Dennis as we move on to Rest and Play in the next episode. And so until then, live life, take care, and keep smiling. The intro and outro music is an extract from the track entitled Falling Down by the artist named Ryan Little and is used in accordance with the Creative Commons attribution license. Thank you very much, Ryan. Further references can also be found in the show notes at www.weworkrestandplay.com. Thank you.